You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. I just want to take a moment and wish Happy Father's Day to all the dads here. And we know that some fathers have passed away and gone on to be with the Lord, and and we want to be uh, sensitive and recognize that there are those that are not with us today that have been a a huge role in our lives, and so as fathers. So we do acknowledge that, and and my dad is here, and so I just want to honor you, dad, publicly from the platform, and I want to thank you for putting up with me, and uh, uh, you've just been an inspiration in my life, an example. My dad has a real strong work ethic, and I think that kind of rubbed off on me a little bit, but there's something in my heart that I always had a desire to please this man. I never wanted to disappoint him. And you know, they say that we often relate to our Heavenly Father as we do to our earthly father. And so that has really transferred towards my Heavenly Father, my desire to please him in every way. And so thank you for leading our family, for being an example, for serving us and taking care of us. I love you, Dad. I'm going to come and give you a hug. I know. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Bless you. And and you couldn't have done it without mom, so we got to give her some credit there too. So, you know, our wives keep us on the straight path often, and so we do appreciate that. And and really, Father's Day is a day that acknowledges and appreciates the important role that dads play in raising children and build a stronger uh, society. So there's a scripture that. I often think of about Father's Day, and it's found in 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, Beloved, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And so we, we thank God for that reality, that we are his children. We're born of, of him, and, and if... Uh, you know, you don't have a relationship and really understand who the Father is. You can come to know him in a real way. Uh, I have a golf ball here, and and I I had an interesting uh, situation come up this week. I got a call on Thursday. Uh, The Fellowship of Christian Athletes was doing a, a golf event as a fundraiser for the organization at Century World, the golf complex, which is absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. I'd never golfed there before, but I hadn't picked up a golf club in about 12 years. And even when I did golf, uh, somebody in the church had bought me a set of golf clubs and a golf bag and said, Pastor, you need to do that. Pastors are supposed to golf. And so I reluctantly started doing it, but I was never good. And so they teamed me up with a PGA professional. I mean, a guy that's played with the U.S., he's all over Europe and Canada and all these, you know, professional events. Uh, His name was Chad uh, Delaney. And so, but that man was patient with me, and and I said, I'm open to learn. It was the most humbling experience, but yet rewarding experience. And so, uh, uh, we actually, uh, we did like a foursome, it's best of four. We got about, I think, nine or ten under par, which I guess isn't the worst. That wasn't because of my uh, shots, though. So, but it was a great opportunity to meet and connect with some other uh, great people in our community in this area. Uh, but 
for the golf ball, we have this as a gift of Earl Winger lives right across from the Wisconsin uh, River Country Club, and there's a golf course that I have played that golf course. And this is a lost ball that he found, okay? And because his home is there, there's a lot of lost golf balls. And he's collected a bunch of them. And, and so this really symbolizes that we were all lost, but we were found. Jesus found us, right? And then to your children, this is like the world, but a little globe. And so you mean the world to them, okay? So that's just a little reminder, a little gift for you. It's, it's not much, but uh, feel free if you are a golfer to use it, okay? So are you ready uh, for the ministry of the word this morning? As we go into the word, as we talk about peacemakers in a world of war, I believe God wants to reveal to us uh, some amazing revelation from the word. But we want to direct you to our key scripture verse this morning, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Matthew 5, verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So, there's something here we're going to talk about, we're going to explore, we're going to see what it really truly means to be a peacemaker. But first, we want to pray. And as we pray this morning, we want to pray for Charleston, South Carolina. We want to pray for the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church and the families of the nine victims, including Reverend Clemente Pinckney, uh, who were killed in that horrible event. He's also, also served as a state uh, uh, senator. But we want to lift up that situation. And we know that uh, love overcomes hatred and evil. And God always wants to get involved in every situation that we face in life. He wants to comfort every broken heart. Some might say it's a gun problem, but it's really a heart problem. So let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And during this time in our nation, Father, with this act of hatred and killing innocent lives at this church, Father, we just pray for peace, the peace of God to manifest in this time of conflict, this time of heartache, this time of tragedy. In the name of Jesus, we pray for the families of the victims, of oh God, that you would comfort their hearts. We thank you, Father, for what we've seen in, in, in people raising up and taking a stand. Father, let what the enemy has meant for evil work for good. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. And now, we also pray, Father, for the ministry of your word this morning, that you would open our eyes to see our ears, to hear that we'd be able to embrace the truth that can bring freedom in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I uh, just want to mention uh, this morning, this week is family camp at Green Lake, and if you want information, you can find that at the Welcome Center after service, but you can come for just an, a day or evening session if you're not prepared to camp there all week, but it's uh, a wonderful opportunity. My uh, former pastor, Bobby Yandian, is one of the speakers, and so I look forward to sitting under his teaching again after all these years. He's truly a great teacher and a gift to the body of Christ. 
Also, Dr. Mark Barkley is one of the speakers that will be speaking. He's from Midland, Michigan, a, a great teacher and minister of the Word of God, a great leader in the body of Christ. So looking forward to that. And also, if you haven't connected to a turning point, uh, this summer we're starting some interest-based turning points, which are small groups where you can really connect with other people, build relationships, and interact uh, in a way that can help you grow in Christ. And so we are encouraging everyone to get involved in a turning point. And you can get involved in more than one. You're not limited to just one. So, well, last week and the week before, we began this series entitled Origins, where we're actually looking at the core values of what we are as a church uh, at refuge here. And, and really, an origin is a point where something begins. It's, it's a starting place. In fact, uh, each week we're looking at a different core value. At Refuge, we have 12 core values that help to uh, describe how we do life together and uh, what we embrace as a church. And, and the core values really are based on biblical truth and biblical principles. We understand that core values are principles that would guide an organization, uh, their internal conduct, as well as how they relate to those outside the organization, to those that they serve. So core values are important. It really is something we need to understand, we need to embrace and keep in mind as we interact with each other. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at the third core value, which is, can you say it with me? Peacemakers in a world at war. Uh, Refuge is a place for people. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 29 and 31, we see the scripture here addressing uh, the word refuge and, and, and mentioning this. And, and from time to time, I want to bring to you scriptures that talk about refuge because it's throughout the Bible you see this word mentioned time and time again. But in 2 Samuel 22, verse 29, it says, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run through a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. See, even if you can't jump high, with God you can do that. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And you see, we need to take refuge in him because God is our refuge. And at refuge, we're a place for people where they can connect with God and find their place in him. Our vision at refuge, you heard it there in the uh, announcements, we believe that all people matter to God. This is a place we grow, finding authentic hope, purpose, and love through Jesus. And so far, we've looked at two of the core values. We are people that cannot be broken, and also a family that always forgives. And it's interesting because the second core value, we're a family that always forgives, really ties in with peacemakers in a world at war. And I want to briefly share a little story with you that uh, occurred. Matthew West, how many of you have heard of him? He's a song artist. He wrote a song called Forgiveness, but he was really inspired to write that story by a woman whose name is Renee Napier. And she had lost her daughter in an auto crash by a drunken driver. 
And, and through her journey of, of the heartache, the brokenness in her life, she came to a point of forgiving this man who killed her daughter. He was sentenced to uh, prison. And not only did she go and forgive him personally, but then she worked to reduce his sentence. And it's, it's really a great story of forgiveness. And I'm going to read some of the lyrics of the song. Forgiveness, it's the hardest thing to give away and the last thing on your mind today. It always goes to those who don't deserve. It's the opposite of how you feel when the pain they caused is just too real. It takes everything you have just to say the word forgiveness. It flies in the face of all your pride. It moves away the mad inside. It's always, it's always anger's own worst enemy. Even when the jury and the judge say, you got a right to hold the grudge, it's the whisper in your ear saying, set it free, forgiveness. Show me how to love the unlovable. Show me how to reach the unreachable. Help me now to do the impossible, forgiveness. Help me now to do the impossible, forgiveness. It'll clear the bitterness away. It can even set a prisoner free. There's no end to what its power can do. So let it go and be amazed by what you see through eyes of grace. The prisoner that it really sets free is you. I want to finally set it free, so show me how to see what your mercy sees. Help me now to give what you gave to me, forgiveness. It's a tremendous song, and if you have an opportunity to go online and check that video out with a testimony of Renee's story, it's very moving. It will bring you to tears and help you to understand God's forgiveness and its power. And with that as a backdrop, because understanding the power of forgiveness moves us into a place where we can become a peacemaker. See, we as Christians have an assignment, and that is that we must renew our mind to the Word of God, into the truth within this book. Because when you renew your mind to the Word of God, it takes you to the next level because so many people are stuck in a place, they're stuck in a rut that they can't seem to get out of. And so allow the, the Word of God to renew your mind this morning as we, as we look at it. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, we, we, we see and read what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gives us eight Beatitudes now, Beatitudes are simply character qualities uh, that affect our attitude and how we relate to God and how we deal with people. And so uh, it's interesting, the word attitude is in Beatitudes, but yet the meaning of Beatitude is, is amazing. Now, the concept of being blessed, because this talks about you're blessed if you do this, blessed are the, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. You see this, all these Beatitudes, eight of them listed. Now, the concept of blessed in the Bible is translated as happy, fortunate, or highly favored. It, it carries that concept. Yet these don't really do justice to what it really means to be blessed. 
Because beatitude means supreme blessedness, exalted happiness, a state of utmost bliss. See, Jesus made these declarations of blessing in the Sermon of the Mount. And so he really wants to bless you, okay? And when we see these character traits developed in our life, which they should because Christ is in us, the hope of glory, then we should begin to see more and more of the blessing of God manifested in our lives. Again, I want to read this verse, Matthew 5, 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, what's interesting here, sons of God speaks of partnership with him. In other words, he wants you to be on his team as a peacemaker because God is the greatest peacemaker in the, in the universe because he reconciled himself to fallen man, making a way so we could be free of the penalty of sin and death and judgment so that we could be free and spend eternity with him. Now, uh, this really has to do, being a peacemaker has to do with taking the position of an advocate rather than an accuser where you're doing what you can to work with people, to bring them into, to, to a place of where they can see, where they can understand, where they can come to terms with their situation, where they can be at peace themselves. Uh, there's a quote by Marianne Williamson. It says, may we not succumb to thoughts of violence and revenge today, but rather to thoughts of mercy and compassion we are to love our enemies that they might be returned to their right minds. So being a peacemaker helps bring people, in a sense, to their right mind so they can see things from God's standpoint, from his perspective. Now, we are living in a world at war. We really are. There's a war on drugs. There's a war on terror. There's conflicts all around the world, in Africa, the Middle East. Uh, there's gunfire, there's bombs exploding. There's innocent lives being taken, Christians being martyred for their faith. Uh, there's a war on the family in our nation. There's a war on values. The, we're living in a world at war because not everyone is submitted and surrendered to the love of God. So there will be conflict. And, and Jesus even said in the last days there'd be wars and rumors of wars. And we see things even increasing on that scale. And so we're convinced that we're living in the end times. We're living in the last days. So we as a people, more than ever, need to adopt that role of becoming a peacemaker. And as a church, we need to embrace that. That as a church, we are going, going about making peace. And, and Jesus is the one who declared that. So there's a way that you and I can be peacemakers in the world at war. Now, um, how can we be peacemakers? See, Jesus said that those who are would be blessed and called sons of God. The Bible says we're to pursue peace, we're to go after it, we're to follow peace. It's important to follow peace, even make, when making a decision. If you're making a decision, you're praying about it, and you just don't have a peace about something, don't move. Don't make that decision. You follow peace. I always look for peace. Where is the peace 
in making this decision because peace will lead you and it will guide you, the peace of God, that is. Now, we have to deal with the fact that a peacemaker is not the same as a peacekeeper. Okay? Are you hearing me? There's a contrast and a difference. See, many sadly settle into the role of being a peacekeeper, but that doesn't often resolve the conflict. And often that will even hurt the relationship even further. And so I want to talk about that contrast this morning about peacemakers and peacekeepers. Now, Merriam-Webster defines a peacemaker as one who makes peace, especially by reconciling parties at variance, a person who helps to prevent or stop an argument, a fight, or even a war. So that's what we see as a definition in the dictionary. But let's look at this, peacemakers or peacekeepers. Peacemakers refuse to compromise. They refuse to compromise the truth of God's word. Where on the other hand, a peacekeeper will compromise if it helps them reach their objective. And see, if you're someone who walks on eggshells, that's not so good. Or one who tends to avoid or ignore conflict, uh, that's not so good. Uh, because you need to deal with things. You can't just sweep it under the carpet. You can't just run from it. You've got to deal with it. Uh, if you don't want to rock the boat, then you might just be a, a peacekeeper. Keeping the peace does not effectively impact the heart of the person if you're just a peacekeeper. But a peacemaker reaches the heart. So you can't keep running from every possible clash in the name of keeping peace. And see, I was always the type of person that I hated confrontation. I didn't like to confront people. I'd rather just, oh, that's okay, put up with it. But yet, it only got, the situation only got worse. But there is a way to confront a situation, to confront in love, and to go into that con confrontation not out of uh, envy, bitterness, or resentment, not out of ill will, but out of a real sincere desire to make things right. And, and see, I don't believe there's any conflict that cannot be resolved as long as there's a willingness on people to work through that conflict. But see, people tend to write people off. Oh, I don't want to deal with that. But yet, we need as a peacemaker to many times run to the conflict and not away from the conflict, all right? Now, have you been one who avoids conflict at any cost? Are you afraid of rocking the boat? Are you afraid of confrontation? Uh, that, that would describe me and how I used to be, and, and there's times I still struggle in, in some of those things. But there is a right and wrong way of confronting a situation because confrontation is necessary if you're going to be a peacemaker. I want you to look at, with me, James chapter 3, if we turn there. James chapter 3, and we see starting at verse 13, a, a great portion of Scripture that really has to do with peace and conflict and, and really understanding God's wisdom. 
And, and verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. See, this is not somebody coming across this arrogant, but they're coming with, with a, a sincerity, with a meekness, a meek heart, heart. And meekness is not weakness, it's being teachable. Okay? Verse 14 goes on to say, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. You know, you can't go against the grain of truth. You're not going to get anywhere because those qualities are, are not going to be in line with the truth. Verse 15 says, This wisdom does not descend from above but is earthly. It's sensual. It's demonic. Now, that's pretty serious. There is demonic, demonic wisdom that people are tapping into. Verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So we've got to guard against self-seeking, that whole selfishness thing. We've got to guard against that, guard against selfish tendencies. And it goes on to say, but, I always like the word but, that's a transitional word. Because before that, it's like, oh, this isn't real good, Lord. You know, this doesn't look good. Verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And then verse 18, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now this is talking about seeking God's wisdom. And if you're making a decision, if you're in a situation and you're looking for God's guidance, these are things to ask as questions. We, we see a list here. The wisdom that is first, from above is first pure. Is this pure? Is my heart pure in this matter? Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it willing to yield? Is it full of mercy and good fruits? Does it have these components in it as I'm seeking God's guidance and wisdom? We see here in this scripture that peace is the presence of righteousness. True peace produces a relationship that brings enemies together. Okay? Now, I want to tell a little story about uh, an individual that used to own the property back here that these warehouses are on. And um, they were, at one point, they were going to expand and, and build like three more buildings, storage units. And, and we were interested in purchasing, purchasing that property. But we were thinking, well, as a church with a child care center, with a school, we don't want all that traffic coming in this uh, area. And so we Actually, they had to go to the city to get a variance so they could get the buildings while well, we went as, a, as church leaders to contend with that and say, we have issue with this. So we actually created an enemy with the, the former owner. And it became a problem because he was going forward. But as we were seeking God, our church board came together and one of the board members said, uh, why don't you offer to buy him out? And said, so, well, he's not interested in selling. So how about if you offer a land swap, where we buy another piece of property that's maybe in a better location, and then uh, build replacement buildings and switch, it, switch the properties. 
Well, I called him up and he wasn't real happy with me and I said, I have a proposal to make to you. Would you consider a land swap? If there's a piece of property we could find that you would think would be agreeable and you know, we worked this thing out at, you know, at a fair price. Well, to make a long story short, he went to his attorneys and said, this is a good deal with the safe, uh, even if he, if he did sell it to us, it, would, it, it was just a good deal, you know, uh, to save all the capital gains tax and all that. Well, we went into this venture. And I can remember, because this, this was the talk of the town at that time, a number of years ago, and I often like to meet with the mayor just to pray with him, to, you know, connect with him and find out, you know, what's happening in the city, how can we as a church, you know, be a blessing to Stevens Point. And, and the mayor at that time told me, he said, you know what? It's amazing what you did with your neighbor because I knew the tension and all that that was there. And, and you made this thing work. He actually said, you should run for mayor. <laughs> and so, but in that situation, what came out of a conflict, we came to a place of peace and, and without uh, compromise. And, and so, and there's a whole lot more that goes into that story, but let me share with you um, the differences between peacemakers and peacekeepers. Okay, you ready for this list if you're taking notes? Peacemakers rely on divine wisdom when dealing with conflict, and we just read that in James 3.17. But peacekeepers lean on earthly wisdom and natural instincts to avoid conflict and maintain the status quo. We see that in verses 15 and 16 in that same chapter. So, it's a source of wisdom. That helps to define whether you're a peacekeeper or a peacemaker. Are you looking to God for wisdom, his wisdom? Are you looking in the natural? And so, then the second one we see here is peacemakers are confident and bold without being overbearing or imposing their way. There's a confident and imposing, but yet they're not you know, just running you over. But peacekeepers are afraid to step out. They back down to challenges and would prefer to be unnoticed or left alone. Okay, so uh, they, they just back off because they don't want the conflict. They just want to keep the peace. And see, there's times that people are oppressed. Spouses and children are oppressed in the home because they're afraid of what might happen to them uh, if they say something. Um, peacemakers use words to build up, to encourage, to accomplish progress, to establish boundaries. Peacekeepers use words to flatter, to hide themselves, to justify bad behavior, and keep up appearances. Just, I've got to keep my image. And so, and, and another one is peacemakers demonstrate a deep love for others by standing up in the face of opposition and demanding freedom. Peacekeepers demonstrate a great love of self by remaining quiet in the hopes that the opposition will just go away and they give place to complacency and compromise. Peacemakers go into the battle to resolve the conflict. They have their eyes set beyond just the problem in order to provide the solution. Peacekeepers do not really care if the problem even gets resolved. They just don't want it to affect them. 
See, a peacemaker is proactive and a peacekeeper is reactive. There's a scripture we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. If you have your Bibles turned there, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. What walls separate us from each other? What walls need to be broken down? As a peacemaker, those walls have come down when you're moving in that arena. Now, Jesus became our peace by taking on what separated us from God, that wall of sin. In fact, he didn't run from the conflict. He went to the conflict. He went to the cross. He paid the price for us. See, we may have a different idea of what peace is. Peace is far more than just an absence of conflict. You know, so well, as long as there's no conflict, that's, that's, that's fine. But Jesus, in, in John 14, 27, says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now what's interesting is Jesus saying, My peace I give to you. So he's giving us his peace. It's a quality and measure of his peace that we don't have humanly, but he gives it to us. That's, that's awfully amazing to me. I think about that. The Greek New Testament word for peace is the word irene, and actually it means peace of mind. Uh, the same sense, of, or it's a sense of health or welfare of an individual. It, it's being whole. It's, it's not being broken. It's, it's when all the essential parts uh, come together, they're joined together. There's unity, harmony, there's peace. That's what the Greek word means. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. In fact, I define peace as undisturbed composure. When your composure is undisturbed, even if things are going bad, you maintain the same composure. So whether things are going good or bad, if I have the peace of God ruling in my heart, I'm not going to be like, oh, my world's falling apart. No, I'll be undisturbed in my composure because I know God's got this one. His peace is a guard. It mounts guard around my heart and, and my mind in Christ Jesus. We see that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. So peacekeeping tends to seek the path of least resistance. Peacekeepers often ignore or pretend that nothing is wrong or nothing is bothering them. They're not being true to themselves, neither are they being true to God or others. Peacekeepers tend to avoid conflict at any cost. But, uh, in fact, I think that peacekeepers maintain a counterfeit peace. And they'll claim it. Well, I have peace. Well, what kind of peace? Because peace can be counterfeit. Because if there's a true or genuine something, there can be a counterfeit something. That's why you don't see counterfeit $8 bills. Because there's not a real $8 bill, right? You only counterfeit what's real. And the devil will give you a counterfeit piece and you might think everything's okay, but it's not. Now, fathers, my word for you today is to, for you to accept your role as a peacemaker in your home. Don't leave it all up to your wife. We're called to be God's peacemakers, and it needs to start at home. 
and I'm working on it. And, you know, we only got the girls there now. Occasionally they can go at it with each other. So, and Dad will say, Matt. <laughs> I said, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I know that tone of voice, that inclination, that I need to get into that situation. But uh, we had a really nice meeting. I don't know about you, if we, we like to get together and have these family meetings and just talk about things. Let's get it all out on the table. And, and, and that really has always produced some good fruit in, in our home, in our family. And so I encourage that. See, if you don't talk about things, if you don't talk through things, you're not going to get anywhere with trying to resolve situations and circumstances. So, so peacemakers in a world at war, what does that mean for us as refuge, as a church? Now, being a peacemaker doesn't mean you're passive and let people walk all over you either. A peacemaker stands up for what is right. So what it means for us at refuge is it means that we're committed to work through conflict that may arise. It means that we're not going to just write people off. It means we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt and a second chance and maybe a third chance if necessary. Romans 14.19, if you have, you can write that down if you're taking notes. Romans 14.19 says, Therefore let us pursue the things that make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. So is it building people up? What are we doing to really build people up? Peacemakers, peacemakers lead others to have peace with God, and that's another component. You know, one of the things I ask people, especially if it's in the hospital and they're, they're elderly and they're, they're dying, I always ask them, have you made your peace with God? And if you haven't, I can help you make your peace with God. And so that's what we at Refuge will do. We will help people make their peace with God, lead them to find peace with God. See, and it's all really dealing with conflict according to biblical ways. Now, in conclusion of this service, I want to talk about the, true, the two primary aspects of peace. I just mentioned the first one, peace with God. Peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone needs peace with God. The second aspect of peace is the peace of God. And that's for each and every one of us that are walking with God. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, the Bible says we're to guard our hearts. But it's the peace of God that truly, essentially, guards our heart. It protects it from the enemy. It protects it from wrong thoughts, wrong thinking, wrong perspectives. Many people think having Peace is a lack of strife or hardship or confrontation when really it's about doing what's right 
and not being anxious about it. God wants you to have peace with God and the peace of God. And peacemaking is really a process of creating a settlement between parties that are odds with each other to bring reconciliation. And you see, that's what Jesus did for us. Because we were at odds with God because of our sin, because of the transgression that occurred in the Garden of Eden with Adam and passed on to all of us. We were all born in sin. And being born in sin meant that there was a separation between us and God. And yet that separation, Jesus came as a peacemaker, the ultimate peacemaker, to bridge that gap. He came as as the advocate. He came as the one to stand in the gap for us, the substitute to take our place, to take our judgment. This morning, I want to ask you this question, and, and many of you have already made your peace with God, but have you made your peace with God? And you might say, well, Pastor, you know, I don't know. Well, if there's a concern in your relationship with God right now, if you wonder whether or not, if, even if you were to die, would you go to heaven and be with him? Or is there a question? Is there a doubt? Is there an uncertainty? Well, God wants you to know. He wants you to have that certainty. And, and when you make your peace with God, there's a knowing. When you're right with God, there's a knowing because his peace is there. Because when you have peace with God, then you receive the peace of God that begins to direct your life. The word peace in the Hebrew is shalom. God is our peace. He is our Jehovah Shalom. And he wants to bring peace to your troubled hearts, your minds. He wants to end the conflict within. And many times it's the conflict within that infects those around us. And then we have conflict on the outside in relationships and circumstances. But God wants to deal with the inward conflict and bring his peace there. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment and And I want you to pray with me. But before we pray, if you are here today and you say, Pastor, I'm uncertain whether or not my life is really right with God. I don't know if I've really made my peace with God, but I want to be sure. I want to know. Today I want to make my peace with God. If that's you, just slip up your hand so I can see it. All right, let's pray this prayer together. Let's continue to look to him right now. Repeat after me, Father God, I come before you in the name of Jesus and I humbly submit myself before you. I acknowledge Jesus that you are the greatest peacemaker. and that you made a way for me. Help me to be at peace with you. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the dead to give me new life. 
I believe in you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse my heart. I surrender to you. Make my life what you want it to be. Jesus' name. Now, make your own prayer. There, if, if there's things you need to settle, just begin to cry out to Jesus and ask him to help you, to bring you at that place of peace with the Father. Now, maybe there's conflict that's unresolved with others, and you just need God's wisdom because he wants you to be a peacemaker in that conflict. He doesn't want you to run from the situation. He wants you to be a peacemaker. And you can be that peacemaker. Because that's who we are at Refuge. We're going to be peacemakers. And it's really my prayer and my heart and desire is for anybody that knows about this church and about us, that that would be a trait that we would be known for. Wow, they, they really are people that resolve conflicts in their lives, conflicts with others, conflicts on the job. They're truly peacemakers in this world at war. Now I'm going to pray for you. Maybe there are some, and maybe you're going through a conflict. And you want to embrace this role as a peacemaker. God will empower you because it's something he desires for you to be because he said, blessed are the peacemakers. He wants you to be a peacemaker. Are you up for that challenge? Are you ready to enlist? Well, God's arms are wide open. Father, I just pray right now for anybody going through a conflict, for anyone dealing with an issue, whether it's family, work-related, Father, that you would allow them to receive your wisdom to begin to speak into this conflict. Father, help them to embrace this role as a peacemaker. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearerefuge.net.